Welcome back to another episode of Emotionally Online, a show for spilling guts and sharing secrets, hosted by yours truly, the one and only Maddie Drospeck. And today I'm doing a different kind of episode. We're having a different kind of conversation. I'm in the mood to be professional this week. Not really. I just have seen so many people posting on Instagram about uh, their previous jobs and what jobs they've had. There's been that little like question box going around. I mean, like, shout out all your old jobs. What what are the things you used to do for money? And I feel like I've got some fun stories and a lot of fun tidbits to share, having been self-employed now for about a year. Um, I think I just have a lot to share. Funny enough, I've been interviewed on a lot of other podcasts about my job and my life as a creator and my life before when I was balancing a nine to five and being a creator. And I feel like I, I always love doing those interviews because it is so far outside of the genre of content that I usually do. Um, there's really like no opportunity ever for me to do a piece of content where I'm just talking about like career advice and things that I've learned being self-employed. But I just feel like If I was back when I was a smaller creator with dreams of doing what I'm doing now, like I would have loved to be able to talk to someone like me now who has the insight of working on the brand side, the agency side, being a full-time creator, being someone who balanced having a nine to five with a full-time job, someone who made YouTube videos for 10 years before anyone gave a shit about them. So I, I just think I have a unique perspective and I have so many stories. So I was like, why the fuck not? This is my podcast. I can talk about whatever the fuck I want to talk about. So today our sleepover topic of the day is careers. We're having a career workshop. Just me and you. You are getting a career workshop from a woman who speaks to herself for a living. (laughs) So buckle up. (laughs) All right, let's dive into it. You're at the career fair and you're talking to me and you said, tell me everything. Tell me, start at the beginning. Tell me about every job you've ever had ever. Here's the mic. Now speak. So first job that I ever had was when I was 15 years old. Uh, this is the job that I had all throughout high school, 15 to 18. I was a dance teacher. Um, basically how that came about is I was very close with the owner of my dance studio. I had known her for several years before she opened her dance studio because she used to choreograph for the theater productions that I was in as a kid. And one day in dance class when I was a freshman, she basically said, like, if anybody's interested in choreographing, like, I'd love to have you guys come in and teach a combo or, you know, if there's any dance that you want to learn and then come in and teach everyone. If you want to, you know, I'll give you like 15, 20 minutes at the end of class to do this little combo. And I was like, me, I would like to teach, get me in there. So, uh, At the time, I was obsessed with learning and teaching myself Lady Gaga choreography. So I knew the poker face, bad romance, telephone, born this way. I knew a bunch of Lady Gaga choreography. And so I came in that next week and I taught a section of the born this way choreography, the official born this way 
choreography and I had such a fun time. So at the end of that class, my teacher pulled me aside and was like, do you have an interest in teaching? Cause you were actually pretty good at that. <laughs> and like, if you want to come and try to choreograph a piece of your own, like, I think you should do it. And I would love to give you one of the pieces for the final show. And I was like, um, I would literally fall over collapse and die. Yes. So I ended up choreographing a piece for the show. Uh, it was to marry the night by Lady Gaga, obviously. And it went so well and we had such a fun time doing it. I loved it. Everyone in the class loved it. It was honestly like, one of the best pieces in the show because it was just a lot of fun. It was just like fun for the sake of fun. And I got to be creative and like showcase my love for Lady Gaga and what I learned about creativity from like just being a super fan. So at the end of that recital, at the end of that year, the owner of the studio asked me if I basically wanted to be like, um, like an apprentice and work alongside the hip hop teacher that she had just hired. Um, she had just hired a new hip hop teacher who was going to come in the next year and asked if I wanted to like basically do the class with her, learn from her, go off all of that. So I did. And then eventually the classes got passed over to me. That teacher was like there temporarily. And after she left, I took over all of the hip hop classes. And then my junior year of high school, we started a competition team that I was on and I danced with. And then I also choreographed for as well. So dance was my job as a teenager, which was like the coolest first job to have ever. Um, it was so much fun to get to teach dance to like young kids, but also to, uh, like middle schoolers and high schoolers. And I, I mean, I got to teach my sister dance growing up and dance with all her and her friends. And, um, simultaneously while that was going on, my best friends were, they started a company, um, and it was all about helping young women, um, uh, build up self-esteem and leadership skills and all of that. It was called move. And it started off, we would go to, I'm sure I've talked about this before. We would go around to different middle and high schools in the new England area and give speeches on body image, uh, standing up for yourself, uh, how to ask for help, mental health, leadership, all of that. And, um, there was a group of us that would go to different schools and give speeches about these things and it eventually turned into a summer program. So I was a camp counselor at that summer camp that my friends ran for, uh, three summers, I believe. Um, and that was also the most fun time ever. So my like teenage years were all about being creative and helping people, step into their confidence and like how to ask for help, how to be a good leader, how to be a good friend. And so, um, I was in a lot of leadership positions at a young age and I was in a lot of like creative leadership positions at a young age, constantly giving speeches, uh, being in front of an audience. Like I have always loved performing and entertaining as well as just like, um, I don't know, being in a spotlight of sorts because giving a speech isn't necessarily entertaining, but I've loved public speaking since I was a kid as well. So despite how introverted I am, I, if it has to do anything with performance, I doesn't, it doesn't matter to me at all. Um, I love it. It's my favorite thing on earth. So that was what I did as a teenager, went to New York for college. And right when I moved to college, I got a job at Urban Outfitters. (laughs) 
Um, anyone who worked at Urban Outfitters from the years 2013 to 2017 deserves financial compensation. You are stronger than the motherfucking troops. Um, it was basically a prerequisite to have a huge following on Tumblr at that point in time to work at Urban. <laughs> and I wanted to work at Urban because at the time it was my favorite place to shop. They do not sell my size now. Don't you worry. Um, and... It was two blocks away from the dorm that I lived in my freshman year of college. So I lived on 55th and 3rd in Manhattan. And the Urban was on 57th or 58th and 3rd. Um, it has since shut down. Don't you worry. It did indeed get shut down. And we all got relocated to different uh, Urbans because we had so much theft at that store. So they had to get us out of there. <laughs> I was there for two or three years and the entire time I was there, I literally didn't make a single fucking friend. I made one friend, one person that was nice to me the entire time I worked at Urban. Everyone else was so fucking mean. It was, it was hell. It was horror in there. Okay, babes. It was not a fun time. I just, I don't know what it was or what was going on, but everyone who worked at that fucking store I worked at two different urbans because one of the stores got shut down and then I moved. And both of my experiences at these two different urban stores were that everyone thought they were too fucking cool at all times. And um, yeah, it was literally so non-enjoyable because I would go to work and nobody would speak to me. <laughs> or they would talk to me like I was like, I don't know. I think people just thought that I was weird because I was quiet or like maybe they would see my YouTube videos and they'd be like, why is she quiet in person? And they just like didn't get me or they it pissed them off that I was quiet in person. They assumed that I was a bitch because I was quiet in person. Was like, oh, she's just quiet because she's condescending or she's judging us or whatever. You know, whatever assumptions that people make about introverted people. I have a feeling that that's what was going on, but I don't really fucking know. Maybe I was just too weird and not cool enough for them. But no, yeah, people were really kind of rude at that job. Um, so overlapping with Urban and my next job. I was, as a side gig, editing for another YouTuber. Um, I used to go to this creator's apartment and film their videos for them and then edit them. And we did that once a week. And I did that for like a year. I don't really remember, to be honest. It was super fun, though. She did like cooking and home videos. So she would cook a lot of the time for the video and then I'd get to eat it after we finished filming which is super fun. And her like home decor was beautiful. She was featured on like refinery 29 and shit. Um, yeah, it was fun. It's good times. And then after that was when I started interning at this company, I started interning for them junior year, January of my junior year of college started interning there. It was an influencer marketing app, um, influencer marketing, video editing app. And I interned there for the rest of college, all throughout my junior year, all throughout my senior year. And then right when I graduated college, I was hired full time at that company. So I got very lucky immediately going out of post-grad, having a job. Literally, I started the week after I graduated. Um, didn't take any time. It was like I graduated on a Friday. I was at work on a Monday. So right out of college, I was thrown into like the social media space at my first job, it was a very small company. Uh, it was a startup. When I first got there, I'm pretty sure there was five employees and then, or maybe there were six and then three people quit. Most of the time I was there, there was three of us. It was the CEO, the sales guy, 
and me. <laughs> and so um, that job was difficult because I was the only creative person on the team and it's a creative app. So basically I was doing everything <laughs> in like terms of like the creative aspect, which was a lot. Um, especially for like your first year post-grad. So this was, like I said, it was an influencer marketing video editing app. So basically brands would come to us and say, hello, we need creators. Maybe they want influencers. Maybe they want everyday people for UGC ads, whatever it is. Brand comes to us, tell us their budget, tell us what they're looking for. We go out and find those creators. I would write storyboards. I would concept a bunch of ads for these brands figure out which storyboard they wanted. Then I would input all the shots into the app. We would hand select a bunch of creators. They would go into the app, shoot all of the shots that I wrote out for them, send me all the footage, and then I would edit all of the videos. And I would either edit the videos and they would get sent directly to the brand to run as ads, or they would be sent to the influencers to post on their pages. So basically I was concepting a bunch of ads telling everyone exactly what to shoot and then editing every single piece of content that came through because I was the only person on the creative team. So it was a lot. I think that was probably my hardest job that I've ever had just because of the volume of work I was doing, especially as like a first year, freshly graduated college student, um, to be working for a video editing influencer marketing app. And I'm the only one that makes videos. That's a lot. (laughs) That's a lot. Working for a video production app and you're the only one that makes videos. So yeah, I was doing everything. <laughs> and that was a lot. It was definitely, it's hard to be working at a startup in general. Um, it's hard, especially hard to be working at a three person startup. So it was a lot of work. Um, it's a lot of work for three people. And yeah, that job was definitely the hardest looking back on and you know what? I didn't make YouTube videos while I worked in that company. So I guess it makes sense. I, I, I entered a creative block immediately when I accepted that position and I didn't make YouTube videos for nine months. So you know what? Maybe, maybe that makes sense. I didn't start making videos again until the pandemic started. When I had a little bit more time to think about doing things besides working and figuring out how to, how to maintain friendships. So that's interesting. um so I had that job for a year I worked a year full-time so I was interning for two years and then I worked there full-time for a year and then May 2020 June 2020 I quit to work for a beauty brand doing social media I worked for Hero Cosmetics which I speak so highly of Hero I loved working at Hero It was so much fun and I loved all of my coworkers. I started working there May or June of 2020 and then I quit December 2021. So I was there for like a year and a half. Um, And when I was there, I was doing social media video. So I was creating content for our YouTube, our TikTok and our Instagram. And I was also managing influencer partnerships on YouTube. So I would have a set budget every single month and I would go out and I would find YouTubers to pair with. I would negotiate with their managers, do the whole shebang. And then I quit my job at Hero in December 2021 to go full-time doing YouTube. So I've been full-time, I've been a full-time content creator 
for 10 months now. And I've learned a lot in the process and I get a lot of questions about how I managed having a nine to five and doing content creation at the same time, like how I grew my channel. Um, when did I decide that I was going to make the jump to being a full-time creator and a bunch of other things. So I collected a bunch of questions that you guys have about being self-employed and, um, how I got to where I am now, but let me just give you a, a background, I guess. So I've been making YouTube videos since 2010. I was making videos my whole life, but uh, 2010 is really when I started really committing to it. July 10th, 2010 to be exact. That's when I created my uh, first YouTube channel, first like solo YouTube channel. And so I have been doing this for over 12 years at this point. And my journey on YouTube has been clearly a long time <laughs> and I've done a lot of different things during the duration that I've been on YouTube when I started I was making music videos I'm pretty sure like my first three years of being on the internet I was making YouTube uh, music videos and I at some point switched over to vlogs I was doing music videos and vlogs for a little bit um my current channel that you guys know and love me for <laughs> it started being my side channel for my main channel that the channel that I currently post on used to be like the random side channel that I sometimes post vlogs on and you know, whatever, but it, it turned into being my main channel whenever I stopped making music videos. Um, and so I made them all throughout high school and throughout college as well. Um, and I want to say like my sophomore year of college, I was at about 30,000 subscribers, 30, 30 to 35,000 subscribers. And my growth just completely stopped. Um, so at that point, how many years is that? 2010 to like 2016. So I've been making videos for like six or seven years. I don't know exactly when the dates are here, but after six or seven years, I had grew my channel from zero to 30,000 or 35,000 subscribers. And then my growth completely stopped. Um, and for the next three years, I would lose subscribers every month. So for three years, I saw no growth, <laughs> none. Okay. From like 2017 to 2020, I saw no growth of my channel every month, every day I would log on and I would have lost subscribers. Um, I often look back at that time in my life. And I'm like, how did you, how did you like maintain motivation at that point? And it's funny because it's not that it didn't impact me because I noticed when people were unsubscribing and there were a lot of times where I was like, God, why isn't this working? <laughs> I would like see other people make their channel and blow up overnight and I would get so jealous and I'd be like, what do they have that I don't? Or maybe even sometimes I would take it a step further and I'd be like, I think I'm better than them. I think my content is better than theirs. How come they're getting subscribers and I'm not? And I would get so upset that not only was my channel not growing, but it wasn't even stagnating. I was losing subscribers every time I did shit. It seemed like people hated me. <laughs> and I remember feeling frustrated. Don't get me wrong. I remember feeling fucking frustrated, but I don't remember ever feeling like it was a reflection of my value as a content creator. I've always been very confident in myself creatively, always my whole life. 
I've always known that I was talented. I've always known that I was a good entertainer. I've always known that I could make people want to watch me. When I did theater, I was always super confident. I always felt like I was the one that people were going to go home and talk about. Oh, that kid that played this, she was great. Oh, or in dance shows, the girl in this number. Like I always felt like I would be the one that people remembered. Um, I've just always believed in myself, I guess. And I thought that I was talented. I thought that I was entertaining. Um, so it's not that I ever doubted that there was value in my content because I've always known I was a great entertainer. I'm a great public speaker and I'm very talented at video creation. I'm great at editing. I'm great at storytelling. Um, these are things I know about myself. So it's, it's not that it ever took a hit at my self-esteem. It more or less just made me fucking angry. <laughs> it just made me frustrated because I was like, God damn it. Why can't people see what I see? But I always just had a feeling that it would work out eventually. And my dad always made fun of me because he was like, you need to be a little for real. You need to, you're a little delusional. Like, what if this doesn't work? What if this doesn't work out? And I always used to tell him backup plans are for losers. And I made a video in like 2017 or 2018 called there is no backup plan. I'm pretty sure that's still on my YouTube channel. Um, but that was like a little short that I made in response to my dad always telling me that I should have a backup plan. And it was like an aura reading that I had gotten every time I got to go get my aura read every single time it's a hundred percent red, which means you're like super passionate and you know, a bunch of shit that I don't fucking remember right now. But <laughs> it always like struck me as being like, well, yeah, of course. Like I'm, I have always seen myself as a very passionate, very work driven person, my career and what I see for myself. Like that has been my biggest dream when I look into the future. Like some people dream of like marriage and kids first. The first thing that I've always dreamt of when I think about my future self is my career. That's what I've cared the most about. And I always wanted to be an entertainer. Obviously, I ended up wanting to be a YouTuber. But before I wanted to be a YouTuber, before that was a thing, I wanted to be an actress. I wanted to be a singer. I wanted to be a dancer. Like, I have always wanted to be an entertainer. And, um, yeah, my dad was like, you need to have a backup plan. And I was like, no, there is no backup plan. Like, that is endgame for me. Endgame is I will be self-employed. I will be a full-time YouTuber. I'll do other shit before I have to get there. You know, I'll work in social media. I'll work at an influencer marketing app. I'll work at a brand. I'll do social media for them. But I'm telling you, endgame for me is that. I'm not, when I'm thinking about how to, like, grow uh, and, and, like, build a life for myself, I am constantly building towards that life that's the life I want. And he was always like, well, maybe you should just like, you know, settle into one of these companies and like really growing. No, no, ah, wrong. That's just what I have to do to make money. The side gig is what I want to be the main gig. I am taking these jobs and I'm doing this and I'm, you know, I will have a nine to five job so that someday my side gig, my hobby, the thing I love the most can be what makes me money. Um, so in 2020, Naturally, I had a lot more time to work on creative pursuits. I ended up leaving the job that was draining me. <laughs> they started working at Hero. And so I started making a lot more YouTube content, sort of getting back into the swing of things. It was sort of a new era of Maddie. I was entering a, the next chapter for me. And 
some of you might know me because of this, but in summer of 2020, I was featured on Tiffany Ferguson's channel uh, for a series that she did about the Kibbe body type system. And those videos are what switched my channel from losing subscribers every day of my life to then all of a sudden I'm back in the green. So I gained like two or 3,000 subscribers from doing those videos on Tiffany's channel. And then from there, I just, I, I was feeling like, so that extra boost of motivation of having the affirmation of like, people like you, they like your content. You just have to find them. It gave me like the additional motivation to just keep going. So I was making a lot of videos. It wasn't one a week. It was probably like two a month, uh, through the end of 2020. And then when 2021 started, I was in an accountability group with my friends and we were all setting goals for the year. And I told all of my friends that I was going to go balls to the fucking wall (laughs) with my YouTube channel. I was determined to make YouTube my full-time job. And I said that I wanted to hit a hundred thousand subscribers by the end of the year. That was the goal. The goal was just to hit a hundred thousand subscribers. The goal wasn't to be self-employed on YouTube just yet. It was just to make it fucking work. At the time, I think at the end of the year, beginning of 2021, I'm pretty sure I had about 40,000 subscribers. So I had a little bit of growth uh, towards the end of 2020, but I was still a small creator. And I still, I think at that point in time, the most amount of money that I had made on YouTube was $300 for a sponsorship. And that was it. That was the most amount of money that I had made online. So I was still not making shit doing this. So then we hit January 2021. And I say to my friends, I want to hit 100,000 subscribers this year. And I'm going to push the fuck out of myself to make this work. So I started making a video every single week. And I also started pitching myself to brands. I would email brands 24-7 being like, hello, this is who I am. This is what I do. This is why I think that you need me. And we could be a great fit together. And it started working. And brands started giving me uh, a chance, a shot. A lot of them were very low paying at the time. I was still a small creator. So I'm getting, you know, not the best rates. Videos in January, all doing well. They're doing better than most of my videos have. In February, my videos are still doing well. And then I have two videos take off back to back. I have how to feel confident on top and a celebration of saggy boobs both blow up and those were posted one after the other. Those were two weeks and both of those videos all of a sudden algorithm picked them up. They started getting pushed to tons of people. My channel boosts 10,000 subscribers in the span of a week. I was like, no fucking way. I was losing my fucking mind. Okay. 10,000 subscribers span of a week then keeps going up keeps going up, keeps going up. 75,000 subscribers. I was freaking the fuck out. I had never had success like this on my channel before in my life. 100,000 subscribers was like a uh, one of those goals that when I set it, I was like, there's no way I'm going to hit it. And all of a sudden it was beginning of March, 2021. And I was at 75,000 subscribers. I was like, there's no fucking shot, but it's working. What I said I was going to do was working. And now I have brands that are 
interested in me and now I have these brands that have seen the power of what I can do that like working with me and that want to work with me more so then the brands that I was pitching to some of them were coming back they're wanting to work with me again I'm still pitching to more brands I'm starting to you know just keep it going keep it going keep it going trying to get this ball moving and keep it moving I didn't want to have this boom in subscribers and then not take like full advantage of it so I keep doing it and then beginning of May we hit 100,000 subscribers and it happened like the day before I moved into my first one bedroom apartment. I decided that I wanted to live alone at the beginning of the year, um, but it was going to be, it was going to be tight <laughs> going off of just my salary living in a one bedroom apartment. I would not have gotten something as nice as this if it was just that. But from January to when I found my apartment in April, my financial situation had changed immensely. YouTube, I mean, it really, it grew so quickly in terms of like how comfortable I was able to live off of it. And, um, so from January to April, when I found this apartment, it was like, damn, YouTube is booming enough that I can get a nicer apartment. I can get a nicer place to live because I was saving all of this money that was coming in. And I was like, it's going towards rent. It's going towards rent because I wanted to live on my own. I wanted to get my own place move out with mango and just live on my own. And so I ended up moving into this place and I had hit a hundred thousand subscribers the day before. Beautiful. Amazing. It was like the best time ever. So I guess I hit a hundred thousand on April 30th cause I moved in on May 1st. So I was losing it. I was like, there's no way. How did this happen? And then once I hit a hundred thousand, like it just, we're like, okay, well let's not stop here. Let's keep going. And by the time June, rolled around, I was making more money on YouTube than I was at my full-time job, which is crazy. (laughs) June, 2021, I was making more on YouTube than I was at my full nine to five salaried job. So that was insane. And it was really great to basically be getting two salaries. I was getting the salary for my nine to five and I was making more on YouTube. So I was like, fuck it. Let's continue doing both. Cause I like having this much money. (laughs) Now, listen, that's a lot. It's a lot to have a nine to five job and do YouTube full time. I made it work because I wanted to, because I had been making it work for a minute at that point and it was going so well. So I feel like I had a lot of positive reinforcement in that period of life. Now, obviously I've been making YouTube videos the entire time I've had any job and I was you know, fully employed at my first job where I wasn't really making YouTube videos while I was there. And then I was at Hero for a year and I was making like a few videos a month. It wasn't four videos a month. It was a video every week. I wasn't consistent until early 2021 where I was like, let's fucking go. And the second I was like, let's fucking go. I started seeing a return on what I was putting in. So I think all of the like positive affirmation that I was getting was helping me produce at that pace um, because it's really hard to do that much. I mean, nights and weekends were dedicated to making YouTube videos. I didn't have a lot of time for anything else, Um, but I was having so much fun that I like didn't really give a fuck because at the end of the day, like YouTube is my hobby. This is what I've done my entire life as like just a for fun type of thing. So the fact that I was making money off of it was so exciting to me that it's like, 
oh my God, people like me. They like what I'm making. They think that I'm creative and funny and cool and I make them feel good. Like that's my fucking dream. So obviously I wanted more of it. I wanted to continue chasing after it because I was having so much fucking fun. So yeah, it was a lot of work, but I was having a great time. I was super happy. So it really didn't even feel like that much work. I was so happy with what I was making and money was great. Like life was good. And I felt like just very happy and confident about where I was going. So June, 2021, I start making more on YouTube than I do at my job. And I'm like, okay, let's keep doing both. I just want to enjoy this and keep two jobs for as long as possible because it's great for my bank account. It's great for my savings. It's just great (laughs) to be able to make that much money. So I was like, let's keep doing it. And I also wanted to make sure before I quit to do YouTube full time that this was sustainable and that this is something that would continue to grow and was something that I could like live off of and really like feel secure living off of. I never wanted to make, um, an impulsive decision about this because it is so important to me and I would rather work two jobs and wait until YouTube was a stable, um, consistent source of income before making that jump. Um, because I would hate to quit this job that I love. I loved working at hero. I'd hate to quit it to do YouTube full time and then struggle so much that, being creative feels difficult or it's not fun. And this thing that I've loved so much my entire life becomes something I hate because now my income relies on it. When I made the jump to doing YouTube full time, I wanted it to be like as certain as it can possibly be when you're moving into something self-employed that I was going to be okay and that I was not going to be stressing out about money. So I waited and I was there for another six months. I had two jobs at that caliber for the entire year of 2021. And what I was making on YouTube just kept going up and up and up throughout the year. And so by the end of the year, I was signing long-term contracts with brands that I love. So I had secured income for the entire next year of my life. So I was like, holy shit. I don't need a job anymore. I don't need a nine to five. I don't need a salary. Like I have built an entire second life for myself that I'm totally secure in, that I see growth in, that I feel happy with, that I feel secure in, and I want to make the jump. So I quit Hero in December, worked through the end of the year, and then January 1, started as a full-time self-employed content creator. I'm sure I've already answered a ton of questions inadvertently. But let me go through the questions list now. Um, When did you know you could transition to doing content creation full time? And how many views do you have to get to justify going full time? It's not about views. Um, My choice into doing content creation full time was strictly based off of could I live a comfortable life doing content creation full time? Honestly, a very comfortable life to the point where I am never stressing out about how I'm going to make money. Um, because the last thing I wanted was to take the thing I love and turn it into something that I'm stressed out about all the time. Um, I wanted to keep this feeling fun like forever. 
<laughs> I, I don't want my job to feel like a job and I wanted to be able to be in a place with it financially where I could focus on keeping it fun. Every time small creators ask me about this, like how many views do I have to have? How many subscribers do I have to have? I'm always like, it's not about that. It's about whether or not you feel like you could live a happy, comfortable life making your side gig, your main gig? If the answer is no, if you don't think that you would feel solid or happy, if you think you'd be stressing out about money all the time, if you made your side gig, your main gig, I think you should wait. I think you should keep your full-time job and just keep making your side gig work slowly and slowly over time. Doesn't matter how long you spend on it. Like I, I just feel like stability is the most important thing when you're like thinking about living a happy life. Cause let's say you, what's more important stability or having the dream job that's unstable. I think that might make you hate your dream job. If you're constantly stressed about where the money's going to come from or what you're, you know, if you're going to be able to make all your bills month to month. Like if, if you have the opportunity to have a stable job, I think you should take that. And I think that you should keep your side gig, your side gig until it is also stable. What is your favorite and least favorite thing about the job? My favorite thing about the job is that it doesn't feel like a job. (laughs) My favorite thing about the job is that this is the easiest job in the world. (laughs) I get to have fun for a living. I get to wake up every day and say to myself, what do you want to make today? What inspires you today? What, what would make you feel creatively fulfilled today? And just fucking do it. I get to think up, okay, what would be fun for me in my life? And just go, that's the job. That's what I do. I get to wake up every day and just decide what it is that I'm going to do that day. I could take breaks whenever I want. I can take days off whenever I want. I don't have to do a damn fucking thing that I don't want to do. That's the best part of the job. This is the most ridiculous job on the face of the planet. It is a, a, a an immense privilege to not only be able to work for myself, but to be able to work for myself in this type of job where I just get to be creative and do the thing that was my hobby for years. It's a dream. It is everything. So yeah, my favorite part of the job is everything about the job. <laughs> it's my favorite part of the job is how fun it is, how flexible it is, how much I enjoy myself doing this job, how challenged I've been by this job. I think I've learned so much being self-employed and I don't have a manager and I maybe never will. I'm that's still something I think about all the time. So I do every part of the job by myself. I don't have an assistant. I don't have an editor. I don't have anybody that helps me on any of my content. And that's a lot sometimes. And that's definitely been, you know, a a learning as far as like managing my workload. Um, when I need to be manager Maddie, when I need to be on camera Maddie, when I need to be editing Maddie, how to organize all of these tasks, organize my deadlines, make sure that I'm working with XYZ to make XYZ money, make sure that I'm, you know, working on the now and planning for the future. It's a lot of stuff. I'm juggling a lot at once and that has at times been super challenging on top of managing the mental aspect of doing this for a job, which is a different story. Um, But I feel like I've grown so much from it. And at the end of the day, this job is so much fun that like, I feel like I just get to enjoy myself and have the best time ever and create whatever I want. And I'm learning a lot in the process as well. Like I just, 
I can't say enough how much fun this job is. <laughs> and, um, and obviously you guys are a huge perk of the job. It is very rare that someone gets to do exactly what they love and, um, connect with so many people because of that, especially at age 25. I feel so fucking lucky. And, um, yeah, you guys are a major perk of doing this whole little shebang. Least favorite part of the job is, um, hmm. my least favorite part of the job is probably the hate comments. <laughs> I think that's an easy one to say. Um, I struggle with them. I'm very sensitive. Obviously I'm in therapy. I've talked about this at length, but that is definitely a hard part of the job, the mental emotional part of the job and like how to process having thousands of people perceive you and have opinions about you that are sometimes not true. That's definitely difficult. How do you deal with a lack of motivation, especially when those off days directly impact your income? So part of my like mindset with all of this in going full time was I mentioned earlier, but something that's very important to me is making sure that this stays fun and that this always feels like, oh my God, I'm so excited to do my hobby for a living. I have, I'm living the fucking dream. I get to do what I love and make money doing it. I want to keep it feeling that way. I never want to wake up and think, oh my God, I turned my hobby into my full-time job and now I fucking hate it. Now I'd never want to do this thing and it's it's annoying me. It's pissing me off. It's frustrating me. I don't even like this anymore. And now I'm stuck doing it. I never want to feel that way. I, I would, it would break my heart if I stopped loving doing this, honestly. And so in my head, part of keeping it like that, of keeping this fun, keeping this enjoyable is learning when to say no, learning when to set boundaries and learning when to listen to my body, listen to my feelings. And if I'm not feeling motivated, if I am not into it, if I feel miserable and just want to go lay in my bed and stare at a wall, I do it. I let myself go do that. Cause listen, that's one of the perks of this job. I am my own boss. I do not need to treat myself. <laughs> like I'm like, I do not need to be like a, a mean boss towards myself and be like, you have to work constantly 24 seven, even when you feel like shit, even when you have nothing, no thoughts inside your brain, you just want to stare at a wall. You have to get up here and make a video, bitch, get inside that fucking camera. Like I never want to do that. I'm not going to make myself get on camera. If I'm having a shit day, I'm not going to make myself sit at my computer and edit for eight hours. If I'm having a shit day, I'm not going to, I'm not going to make myself do anything if I'm having a shit day. So part of how I keep myself motivated is by taking as many breaks as I fucking need to. Part of how I keep myself motivated is letting this be an intuitive process for me. Something that I was asking myself a lot when I first started doing this was, does keeping a nine to five schedule work for me? Because instinctually when I quit my job and started doing YouTube full time, I was working Monday through Friday, nine to five schedule. And I think I learned pretty early on that that doesn't work for me and that it's really hard to be creative when you're like, okay, you must be creative in these hours. It's a lot easier to be creative when you just go with the flow a little bit. You let yourself be creative when you need to be creative and when you don't, 
You don't, you don't force it. So I have definitely taken a more intuitive approach when it comes to work and play time, work and rest time in this job, which is another major perk of it. Um, but part of how I stay motivated is really making sure that I'm never forcing myself to make things that I actively don't want to make. Obviously, I have deadlines. I have, you know, general times in which pieces of content are due, but I know when those are coming up and I know long in advance. So I'll usually start working on projects, at least concepting them for a month before they actually come out. That way I can get in all the creative time as it comes out and then have something to share with people and get stuff to the brands for them to approve on time. Um, that's why I don't have a posting day on my YouTube channel because it's not that simple. I try to put out four videos a month, sometimes five. Um, when those four videos come out is different every month. Depends on what's going on in my life, um, how I feel emotionally, how creative I've been, what's been going on. And so my schedule is very much determined by my emotions. <laughs> and I think that's been good for me. I think it helps to just let myself create when I want to create and I don't push it when I don't. And I'm working far enough in advance that usually I can go with the flow on that. Um, the podcast is a little different because I do have a posting day. So if I'm struggling or have a lot going on, I do just end up missing an episode because of the fact that this is a weekly show. So, um, the podcast I usually record on Mondays. That's usually the only thing that's on a schedule for me. Everything else is more intuitive. Maybe I don't do anything on a Tuesday, but I work on a Saturday and Sunday. Like it's, uh, it, it, it's more like I work every single day. I work a little bit every single day instead of a nine to five schedule. I just want this to stay fun. It's all about keeping it fun. Like when I say work, when I say like, oh, I'm working, I'm working on a Saturday, I'm working on a Sunday. It's not like work, you know? Like I always say that I have a fake job. My friends will be like, oh, like when are you around? What's your schedule like? I'm like, no, no, no. You tell me when you're around. What's your schedule look like? Because I have a fake job. I can do anything I want, okay? I can decide midday on a Wednesday that I'm done and be like, okay, logging off at 1 PM and it impacts no one. <laughs> so you tell me when you're around, I have a fake fucking job because this isn't, it doesn't feel like a job. I'm just having fun. I'm just enjoying myself. I'm being creative. I'm making videos and thank God people like them. What a beautiful world this is. So, uh, I just want to keep it like that. I want this job to remain fun. I want to enjoy what I've worked for. I've been making videos for 12 fucking years. I want to enjoy this time of life. I want to make sure that I have longevity in this career, that emotionally I have longevity in this career, but also creatively. And uh, I think that I make like the most truthful, authentic content when I am being kind to myself and letting myself rest and create intuitively and you know, just sort of going based off of feelings. Cause I think like the nine to five structure of like work, 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 and then rest and then work. Like it just doesn't fucking, it sucks. It's ass. So if I'm my own boss and I can decide I don't want to live like that, I think I'm going to make that choice and decide that I don't want to fucking live like that. 
but it is hard sometimes as as hard as I try to get so far ahead of my production schedule that I never come across a, a moment where my motivation or lack thereof is impeding on deadlines that I have to hit that's not always the case like sometimes I am right up against the wire creating content making things and I'm just running behind because I am lacking motivation I'm lacking thoughts inside my brain and um Honestly, I feel like there's nothing you can do when you feel that way. You can't like force yourself into being more creative or feeling motivated if you don't. I think the only thing that helps is rest. When your body is demanding rest, when there's no thoughts inside your brain and your body's just like shutting down, like you have to listen to it. That's the only thing that's going to make it better. So that's another beautiful part of being self-employed is if I have to move a deadline, I can the end of the day this is a very unimportant job right like nobody's going to explode if a youtube video goes live two days late nobody's going to explode if a podcast goes live two days late um taxes how do you stay organized so you're not scrambling every single quarter and then a lot of you asked about insurance so i'm 25 i'm about to be 26 so i'm going to figure out insurance next year i'm still on my parents insurance for now so i'll let you know what ends up happening with that? I'm not looking forward to having to figure that out. I'm going to start dealing with that in January. Um, in terms of taxes and staying organized, uh, I do have an accountant. So I'm, you know, I've got some help there. But I try to save 50% of every paycheck that gets hit into my bank account. I try to save 50% of everything. And then I pay taxes quarterly. So... Now, I definitely had to learn that. I feel like I I was saving less of my paychecks before. And then, number one, I had no idea that I was supposed to be paying quarterly taxes. That was fun, not knowing that, because you get fees added on if you don't do it. So that was fun, figuring that out. Um, number two is I was definitely not saving as much as I should have. I, I think at first I was saving 30% of my income for taxes and then I wasn't paying quarterlies so then when tax day came around it drained my account <laughs> I had the money but it was everything I had <laughs> so I was like fuck because I in my head thought that like the 30 percent that I was saving of every paycheck was like yeah some of that is going to taxes and then some of that is going into my savings um, yeah, no. First time I paid taxes on the shit, I drained my entire bank account. So that was a learning. And now I save 50% of every paycheck that gets hit so that that never happens to me again. <laughs> How does PR work? How do you get on lists? So usually brands just reach out directly and they will ask to send you something or they'll ask to add you to their PR list. Um, and once they send you one thing, they'll send you multiple things. In my experience, most brands will ask you every single time, hey, we're launching this product. This is happening. We'd love to send it to you. Yes or no. But sometimes brands just like go rogue and start sending you shit. I hate that. Um, I don't often give my address out to brands because to be honest, I don't want a bunch of free shit that I'm not going to need. I think a lot of like the PR uh, 
I don't know, these huge PR boxes, like when they're giving you every single shade of foundation. And it's like, I don't want that. Why would I want that? Then it's my job to figure out what to do with all this shit. Like I fucking, I don't want, I don't want it. I live in a small apartment. I do not want a bunch of shit that I don't need. I just like, there's a lot of overconsumption that happens because of the amount of free shit that people want to give away. So I only give my address to brands that I really love and that, um, I'm really interested in trying their products or having them send stuff to me. Um, I get a ton of emails every day of brands being like, we want to send you this. We want to send you this. And I say no to 99% of the emails that I get because I just don't want a bunch of free shit that I don't care about or don't use or don't like. Um, but sometimes when you go through agencies, like I've gotten some of my brand deals through agencies and I think that some of, and sometimes they will just like start giving your address away to other companies so like occasionally I will get a random package in the mail from a brand that I've never heard of that I've never given my address to and I have no idea how they got my address I'm convinced it's one of these agencies that just like passes addresses to all of their clients without asking the creators if they actually want the products um I don't understand why people do that literally last week I received a package it was full of organic toothpaste why the fuck would I want that? Why the fuck would I want a box, a box full of like six tubes of organic toothpaste? Now I've got to figure out what to do with the shit. <laughs> it's always like I, when my friends come over, I let them look through. I have a box in my closet of like a bunch of PR shit that I don't want. And then whatever they don't take will end up getting donated. But, but yeah, I don't really know how some of those brands get addresses. I think it's kind of, uh, I think it's a bad business practice to just like send shit to people that don't want it. Um, I don't want, I don't want it. I don't want those things. <laughs> I don't, don't give me shit. I have a small apartment. I have nowhere to put this shit. Don't send me nothing. Ask me if you want to send me something. I will tell you if I want the product. <laughs> um, and as far as like getting on PR lists, the more of an audience you get, the more likely it is the brands will reach out and want to send you stuff. But, um, there are ways to get on PR lists as smaller creators as well. Honestly, like just reaching out to brands helps a lot. Um, when I was first starting, I've said many times that I was pitching myself to brands, all of my like first sponsorships, um, that turned into my long-term partnerships were brands that I pitched to. So, um, you can, the same way you're pitching for sponsors is the same way that you can get yourself onto different, you know, PR lists as well. If that's what you want, how do you separate making stuff for pleasure versus profit? How do you change your mindset from something that was once a hobby to a job? So I talked a little bit about this before, uh, about how I never want to view this as a job and I always want to view it as a hobby and how I allow myself to do that, which is really just taking care of my mental health and never forcing myself to do things that I don't want to do. Um, but another part of this in, in terms of like the, how do you separate making stuff for pleasure versus profit? Um, my like creation process of videos is very separate from my process with brands. So the brands that I work with don't have any type of say about what my video is about. They don't dictate any of what I say in my videos, anything that I do in my videos. Um, when brands are paying me for a sponsor, they're paying for that 60 second time spot where I'm talking about the brand. 
So when I'm making each of my videos, it's always like a creative process in and of itself. It's like 100% pleasure, just me creating and having fun. And then I'm looking at what contracts I have for the month and then loading in a sponsor into the videos that I need to load it in after the fact. I'm not making videos with the idea in my head of like, oh, can't say this, can't say that because a brand is sponsoring it. None of that. I do not accept sponsors from brands that are going to dictate the shit that I put on my channel because that's part of it. I always want this to feel fun. I never want this to feel like I'm just like a, a robot working for a bunch of different fucking brands. Like I've been so lucky to work with the same brands over and over again. I work with all of my favorite brands. These are products that I genuinely love and personally use. So it's very easy to work it into my content. Um, but at the end of the day, they don't control what the content itself is. So the creation process of each video remains for pleasure. And then the profit part is just something that gets loaded in after the fact dropped into the timeline. Um, I don't know if you were referring to AdSense, I guess, like making videos that, you know, will do well in the algorithm, AdSense really doesn't pay me shit. I couldn't even pay my rent off AdSense. So uh, some creators make a lot off AdSense. I do not. And a lot of that is because I, I make videos about sex. So uh, I have a lot of videos that are demonetized. And even the videos that are monetized, like my, my channel is still going to be categorized as like she makes XYZ type of content. Um, so the brands that want to pay to put ads on those types of videos, they're not paying as much as like the finance channels and um, other categories like that where they're making a lot of money on every single video on all the ads that are placed. So um, I don't really care about what's going to do well in the algorithm in terms of profit. I'm thinking more, if I'm thinking about the algorithm, I'm thinking about like, how can I reach my audience? How can I reach the people that are going to love this type of content that are going to resonate with it? What titles are they clicking on? I'm thinking more about the algorithm in terms of like how to find my people and less about how to manipulate, manipulate the algorithm for profit. All of my profit comes from the sponsors that I work with. How do you manage pricing your own work as an artist slash content creator? It's so hard and I need negotiating tips. So this is a very loaded and complicated question. I know that when we're talking about like content creators, the money aspect is something that fascinates so many people. Obviously, it is fascinating because it's so new and it's still like people don't understand how much money creators make or what the industry standard is because there really isn't an industry standard. Um, what creators are making varies across the board and it depends on so many different variables that it's, it's hard to tell a creative of any kind, like what exactly they should be charging as like a blanket statement. I think when you talk person to person, you hear everything that's going on, get all of their stats. You can, you know, if you're, if you've been around in this space for a while, you know what an appropriate range would be for them. But having worked on the brand side, the agency side and working for myself, I feel like I have a very unique perspective because I know a lot about what other people charge. And that was a big help to me when I was working, uh, two jobs at the same time when I had my nine to five and my, 
um, I was trying to grow YouTube at the same time. It was so helpful because half of my job was negotiating with managers from the brand side. So I got to see a lot of the inside, you know, back end of what a lot of creators are charging, what creators in my demographic are charging, what creators with my same numbers are charging. Um, and those are like good insights to have. If you are a creator, you should definitely check out Fuck You Pay Me, which is a website for creators where you can look up different brands and see other influencers anonymously talking about what those brands paid them, um, what they paid them for, and if their experience was good or bad. Even websites like that, it's it's hard to totally like pin it like I wouldn't read the stuff on a site like fuck you pay me and be like that's it that's gospel because there's so much that goes into influencer pricing and it's constantly changing as well so I think that's like one good way it's that's one good source to look at but don't use that as your only source um Cause the thing is, is it's different for every single fucking creator. Um, I think the best thing to do, uh, is like talk to other creators, creator to creator, ask other people what the fuck they're charging. If you are a creator watching this, I think that everyone should be transparent about what they're making. I believe so hardcore in pay transparency between creator to creator. If you are another creator and you want to know what I charged a brand or what I made with a certain sponsorship, just fucking DM me. I will tell you because I think that it is so important for creators to be able to know what they should be charging and what they are worth. It is, it's, it's so hard because a lot of the money stuff is behind closed doors and I'm, I'm never going to like come on here on my podcast and be like, this is what you should charge as like a blanket statement. So I'm not going to say any numbers right now. If that's what you're hoping I'm going to say, because there's no like blanket number that is like, if you have X amount of subscribers, you should be charging X because it is so much more than just numbers. Yeah. Your subscriber count goes into why you charge what you charge, your subscriber follower account, whatever it is. Your views are also a part of why you're charging what you charge. Your engagement rate is a part of why you're charging what you charge. How many years have you been creating content? What's the quality of content that you create? What category of creator are you in? And is it a category that is hard to find creators in? For example, being in the sex category, There are a lot of people that do not want to work with sex brands. So I know that I am a part of a smaller subset of creators, creators that will work with sex brands. Um, On top of that, I know the quality of content that I make. I know how engaged my audience is. I know that I've spent 12 years building a relationship and that's important. I've spent a lot of years doing this. I've spent years building relationships with my followers and creating uh, a back and forth between you and I where you can trust what I say because you know I'm being honest. I do not accept sponsorships from brands that I do not like. I don't accept sponsorships from brands if I've never used the product myself, even if I think I might like it. If a brand reaches out to me and they say, hey, we've got this product and I th- I'm thinking to myself, oh, that sounds cool. I probably would like it. I always respond back and say, hey, this sounds super interesting. I'd love to explore this further. However, I'd love to try this product before giving you a firm answer. I would never accept 
money from a brand for the sake of accepting money for from a brand because I know that my authenticity, my honesty, my connection with you guys is more important and at the end of it all is more valuable to the brands that I actually want to work with. My favorite brands are only going to want to work with me even more when they see that I have a great relationship with my followers who really value my opinion and so yeah, they're going to be willing to pay me my full rate because they know they'll get a return on their investment. It also depends a lot of time on what brands are looking for. Are they looking for conversions? Are they looking to just get eyes on their product to get like the name of their brand out there? Are they looking for um, more you know, videos about them to appear in search. So when people are like, hmm, I wonder if this product works, let me look it up. When they look it up in YouTube or Google, your content is popping up. Some brands are only looking for that. They're not really giving a fuck about how it's performing or how many subscribers you have. They care all about the search features of a platform like YouTube and what getting their brand name out there could mean for them. So there are all of these, and the list goes on, right? There's so many factors that go into why you should charge what you charge. Um, Also, everything is different platform to platform. So if you have 100,000 followers on YouTube, that is different than 100,000 on Instagram or 100,000 on TikTok. Yeah, the numbers could be the same across all three platforms, but what that means, creator to audience, um, is different across the board. Your follower count, your subscriber count is honestly like the least important thing when you're talking about money, in my opinion. I think numbers in general are like some of the least important things, Um, especially like this new age of influencer pricing that we're going into. I feel like I think what matters more now is brands being able to see um, like audience loyalty and what impact you have on the people that follow you and what that trust looks like. Now, there are definitely some influencers that just take brand deals from fucking anyone that offers them money. I think usually you can tell. Anyone that accepts a Best Fiends sponsorship, I've got my eye on you. (laughs) Now, not only is accepting an inauthentic sponsorship doing a disservice to you because it's not something that you actually enjoy or care about. And now you have to just make this like stupid little fucking video about something you don't give a fuck about. And now you're going to sell it to your audience and you don't really give a fuck. And you know, that's kind of dirty to be like, I love this thing when you don't really love that thing or don't know about that thing. And I think that weighs on creator audience relationships over time. If people start picking up on the fact that that's what you're doing, but it also weighs on the relationships that you will make with brands because brands notice too. So you could have a brand that you really want to work with, but then they look at your page and they see that you're picking up the most random ass fucking sponsorships of all time. And you're not getting good engagement on them because your audience is like, what the fuck is this shit? That brand is going to be like, maybe we don't want to work with them. So at the end of the day, being true to yourself and your content and accepting sponsorships from brands that you genuinely enjoy um, products that you have genuinely tried and have tested and enjoy is always going to be better than just accepting sponsorships for the sake of accepting sponsorships. Um, and what you charge varies across the board. Like I said, on so many different factors, numbers are not 
the only thing. Numbers are not the end all be all. It's different from platform to platform. It's different based on what the brand is looking for, what their goals of taking on an influencer partnership is. Obviously, YouTube videos are going to be making more money than TikTok videos. However, whitelisting is huge on TikTok right now. So even if you have like 10K followers on TikTok, you can still be making a lot of money partnering with brands if you have a high uh, quality output that you produce because brands, they just want to whitelist your content. They don't care about reaching your followers. If you don't know what whitelisting is, basically it's when a brand, um, they take your video and they run it as an ad when it's connected to your profile. So on TikTok, you can give brands a whitelisting code when you post a video and it means that they can then push it from their side as an ad. So it pops up on people's for you pages, uh, with like the sponsored tag. Um, a lot of brands are just interested in that. So they're just looking for people who are able to produce high quality content. They don't give a fuck how many followers you have because they're pushing the content in ads. So even if you have 5,000, 10,000, 15,000 followers, you can still be making a decent amount of money on social media if you are finding brands that are looking for people who are great at creating content and they're looking to whitelist. So it's really more about finding brands that are the right match for you, Um, talking to other creators about what they are charging. Yes, there are aspects of it that are attached to numbers. There are general ranges that you can expect based on view count, follower count, all of that. But I think more than anything, like audience testimonials, being able to show brands like sales that you've driven in the past or just messages from your audience talking about how much they've enjoyed a product that you've recommended, like that, that's great. And not even a product, but just a brand being able to see that you have um, an engaged audience that gives a fuck about your perspectives. That's great. Because listen, you can be a, a, a YouTuber with 50,000 subscribers and you might work better for a brand in driving sales than someone with 2 million subscribers because you have a better relationship with your audience. It all depends. I think overall, if you have no idea where to start, my advice to you is to reach out to content creators that are in a similar ballpark to you. I am like so appreciative of all the content creators that have been transparent with me and that were transparent with me throughout my process of learning what to charge myself. And obviously I was, I had sort of the inside scoop on that as well, having it be my full-time job. Um, And yeah, I'm all about pay transparency. So if you are a creator and you like some of the brands that I work with and you want to know what I charge them or you want to know what I would recommend that you charge for a specific opportunity, DM me. And if I see it, I will respond to you. Um, Because I think like the best way to navigate all this is just to help each other. Um, Because yeah, there really is no industry standard and there's so many different variables that go into why you should price yourself a certain way or what range you should price yourself in. So yeah, I just said a lot of fucking words. But yeah, I always think it's so funny seeing people accept like Best Fiends sponsorships because I'm like, there's no fucking way. (laughs) There's no way you give a shit about that stupid fucking game. I mean, maybe somebody gives a shit. I don't know. Not that I really care 
what sponsorships my favorite creators accept. Like if somebody create, if somebody I love accepts a best fiend sponsorship, like I'm not going to be like, boo, I hate you. I'm just skipping through it. Honestly. (laughs) Um, if I'm not interested, I just skip through the ad, but sometimes I'm sort of like giving people the side eye when you see them accept a sponsorship that just makes no sense. (laughs) It's like, okay, what happened there? I would personally feel very weird about doing that, but maybe I'm in a position of privilege to say something like that because if you've got to pay the bills, you've got to pay the bills. And if Best Fiends is going to do it, then I guess you just got to accept that sponsorship. (laughs) But if you can, I would say it's it's a net positive in the long run to stay true to, you know, yourself and only accept sponsorships from brands that you actually enjoy even if it's below your rate because some of the brands that I work with are smaller brands and I don't charge them my full rate that's another aspect of it is what brand are you talking about what brand are you working with because brands especially small brands have set budgets and it's not like they have like a millions and millions of dollars in their marketing budget to blow on influencers you know a lot of the small companies are basically given like ten thousand dollars a month and said try to work with as many creators as you can so a lot of them are just like doing with what they can so also that's the other thing is that your rate should be a little flexible because I think that it is better to take a lower rate and work with a brand you love than it is to get a really high rate for a brand that you've never fucking heard of in your life But ideally, you get to work with brands you love and they pay you your full rate because you're an amazing content creator and we love you. (laughs) You make great little videos and we love them so much. (laughs) That's the ideal. Oi, oi, oi. I just talked for so long, so I'm going to end this video here. (laughs) Um, I know this was very different from my usual content. But I've gotten quite a few comments about this one, just asking about jobs, self-employment, and I get messages from small creators all the time, just one my two cents. So thought I'd give it. Um, and if you weren't into this, no worries. We will be back to the goofs and fun times and maybe some tears next week. <laughs> you never know what you're going to get, baby. <laughs> um... So I guess I'll leave this. My final little piece of advice to any content creators out there is just to keep making shit, to keep doing what you're doing and don't put a time limit or constraint on yourself for what you think your timeline as a creator for look like should look like. There were several moments of time throughout my journey as a creator where I felt like, God, it's so embarrassing that I've been a creator for eight years and I still have like fucking nothing to show for it. Um, and if I had let those thoughts win, then I never would have seen the day where I get to work for myself and do this as my full-time job. And honestly, looking back at those moments now, when I was like 16, 17, 18 years old, super jealous and angry that other people had success doing this and I didn't, I look back at that now and I think, thank God I didn't have an audience at that time in my life. (laughs) I'm always like, thank God fucking god because you know what i think that i had a lot of learning and growth to do both as a creative and someone who was you know going to end up managing myself organizationally um professionally i think i had a lot of growth to do and 
you know, that growth has really helped me have a very stable, independent career for myself now. So I think it all ends up the way that it's meant to be. Thank God I didn't get big off of making fucking fangirl videos for you know who, they who shall not be named. (laughs) If you know, you know. (laughs) And thank God that I, you know, I, I get to have this opportunity now. Thank you guys so fucking much. The takeaway here is that you guys are the best (laughs) and I'm so grateful to have you guys here watching all of my videos, watching the podcast, even listening at this point in the podcast. That means so much to me. This has seriously been my dream since I was a kid and I, yeah, there, there are not enough words in the English language to emphasize how much your support means to me and how cool of a fucking job this is. Um, I'm so happy and I feel so lucky that I get to make videos for you guys. Seriously, it is the highlight of my entire fucking life and I am so happy to be here. So I love you so much. Mean it truly, honestly, and deeply. Um, if you want to follow the podcast, Emotionally Online Pod, it's on Instagram. And if you want to submit questions, requests for advice, there is a link in the description of every single one of the YouTube videos as well as the Instagram description as well. So I love you guys so much. I'll see you guys next week. Bye.